I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift for an impromptu transfers recap part two. Because on the eve of La Vuelta, perhaps a bit of gamesmanship from some of the teams I would say some of the highest profile riders on the market have been announced as transferring. Richard Carapaz, Ineos riders, two of them. We'll get to Jumbo Visma with Kelderman and Van Baal. But before we get to that, I mentioned our show partner, Zwift, Zwift Academy. It's back and registration is open for 2022. Whether you're aiming for a pro contract like Jay Vine, who's here in the Vuelta for Alperson de Koenig or Neve Bradbury, or just looking to kickstart your fitness with some structured sessions, Swift Academy will help you get fitter and have more fun on the bike. There are six workouts to complete, either solo or in group workouts with baseline rides to compare your progress before and after Swift Academy. Thanks, as always, to Swift for supporting the show. Carapaz is the big one. Off to EF, education, easy post. Uh, look like Daniel Benson... Uh, Vela News had a like coordinated embargo with the press officer or with Vorders. He had his long form piece written, ready, released 10 minutes before the EF announcement saying this could be the most successful transfer of the decade. Um, we'll see about that. We'll uh, but yes, that. three three year deal, uh, 29 years old Carapaz at Ineos. He won the Giro at Movistar. He won, he was fourth in the Giro in 2018. He won stages in both 18 19 Giro. On Ineos, Tour de France 2020, he got kind of shafted because Thomas wasn't in shape. He got dragged in. He was supposed to do the Giro. Vuelta, shafted again. No teammates. Came second on bonus seconds to Roglic last year. Third in the Tour. I don't really see how he could have done too much better. Uh, And this year, and then he DNF'd the Vuelta. And then this year, second in the Giro. Hindley beat him on Fadaya in terms of wins at Ineos, it, well, it was the Olympics, He, but that wasn't in Ineos colours. He won Tour de Suisse last year with a stage. He won a stage at Polonia in 20 and a stage in Catalonia this year. So he's a consistent Grand Tour performer, Benji, but a three-year deal. I see this as the Uran replacement. It's, I, I, it's hard to see it as anything else other than that. I agree with that. And the initial reaction I have is... Good. We're balancing out cycling a bit. We're putting a GC podium contender into a team that, in my opinion, when it comes to the Tour de France, didn't have one. I didn't see Hugh Coffey as a Tour de France podium contender. When it comes to Chavez, neither. Uran, not anymore. So that team was lacking that for me. Nelson Paulus, also not on that level. With Carapaz being removed from Ineos and added to the team of EF, we've got that extra team hunting for a podium in a Grand Tour is what I would say as a goal for that team with this transfer. And next to that, let's analyze both EF and Ineos after this transfer, okay? Let's take a look at EF first. They get Carapaz as leader, Uran's out of contract. I'm guessing that that's the end for Uran at EF unless he finds an agreement that is not much money, which 
I don't know. Is there a team that would be interested in taking on Rigoberto Uran after 2022, after this season? I mean, if I was him, I would stay at EF. They let him do the Grand Fondo stuff. He's got his own apparel. I think he's got his own business stuff. And he literally, like, doesn't race or isn't in top shape for, like, 90% of the year. And EF would have been okay with that, seemingly. So, Bales, he might stay at EF. Um, so, I mean, what team would want Uran? Can he provide certain points? He can't provide certain wins. Can he even guarantee you a top 10 GC at the Tour de France? No. So, and he's 35. It's curious, the parallels. Like, he was signed when he was 29 at EF when they were Cannondale. Carapaz is 29. He podiumed the Tour de France. He came second to Uran in 2017 when he was, I think, 30, the second year of that contract. So I think that's what EF are looking for. They got the three. It's for the whole of the next three-year point cycle if the points remain. Uh, Carapaz, even if he doesn't win the Tour, top five GC at yeah. both World Tour One Weeks and Grand Tours provide a huge amount of points. And I would say, generally speaking, the top GC guys are undervalued. Like, you'd be like, okay, Carapaz, I don't know what he's getting paid. Vaud, as I said in the Velo News article about how he had to go and get extra money from EF, get their sign-off. So he's not on his Olympic champion. He's not on pennies. But there's a lot of guys on 700K, 800K who don't win races, who don't top 10 World Tour races, can go two years without winning a dot pro yep. stage and don't contribute to winning whereas you know at carapaz like he should in theory still be in the prime of his career are you worried that he like do you sense any decline with carapaz does it, what happened in the giro concern you or do you see him as still a he should be the favorite to podium any grand tour he enters just about Favorite for a podium, that's a difficult one, eh? Because, like, when it comes to the Tour de France, we've got some top-notch hitters for it. Roglic, Fingergaard, we've got Pogacar. Those are three riders that are rated above Carapaz, for example. But for other Grand Tours, we usually have a podium favorites group that Carapaz would fit into and would be a rider that is set to podium a Grand Tour that doesn't have those three big hitters on the start line. So I see Carapaz as a podium contender for any Grand Tour he lines up with. But it's going to be harder in the Tour de France than in any other Grand Tour in the season, is what I'd say for now. Obviously, let's say Remco does actually destroy La Vuelta, like you have happening in your dreams every single night until the Vuelta happened. And that would change things, because that's an extra contender that would be significant for Grand Tours in the future. So there's always that danger that an Ayuso, that an Evenepoel, that an Almeida, that those riders step up and become better than a Carapaz when it comes to the podiuming of Grand Tours. But when it comes to Carapaz himself, I don't necessarily see him becoming weaker over the last few years. Yes, he won that Movistar Giro back in the day, but I still believe that was a mistake by Nibali on the stage where Carapaz took most of the points, where Nibali basically only focused on Roglic, expecting Roglic to be this all-out contender for that Grand Tour, and it backfired completely with Carapaz taking loads of time and eventually being unable to take back all the time towards Carapaz by the end of the Grand Tour. And when it comes to the Vuelta, where Carapaz almost beat Roglic, again, if he has a better team there by Ineos, he wins that Grand Tour, in my opinion. But also next to that, was that Roglic at top level in that Vuelta, or was that at the end uh, of tiredness, 
Roglic. He wasn't top level, and also it was in November, so it was colder and rainier. If it's in hot conditions, he's going to have less problems. That random stage was that the, the race where the jacket thing was, yeah, yeah, like that. You know, November welter like Carthy, I think prefers the cold. He did better in that welter, weird welter. Uh, that being said, there's not many. There haven't been many options on the market. There's about there's two guys that were on the market. In for 2023, who have podium to Grand Tour in the last two or so years, or two three years? Kelderman, 31, and Carapaz. I don't know the price oh. difference. I would assume. Oh, uh, is there anyone else? Nibali. Did Vincenzo Nibali do it in the last three years? But <laughs> hey, he's retiring. But maybe did if he? you put enough money on the table, did he? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> in the last four years, maybe not three years. Damn it. <laughs> 2019 Giro, different era, pre-COVID, different time. <laughs> Um, Kelderman versus Carapaz. If I'm EF, it makes more sense to sign Carapaz, even if he's yeah. more expensive. Kelderman's less reliable in terms of crashing uh, and points. One would think, like for example, this year, like I like Kelderman as a rider. I think he's underrated, but the results are what they are. Terreno nineteenth, Valenciana DNF, Giro seventeenth, Dauphiné twenty no eighth. Burgos ninth. Although that's being said, like he was instrumental for Hindley on sort of for stage fourteen, but that is not Carapaz. Yeah, Carapaz also is able to win stages, which Kelderman has has difficulties with. Let's just say that. But next to that, like if we take a look at what is surrounding him in twenty twenty three IDF, let's talk about that aspect of that team. In all honesty, it is. A relatively decent climbing squad. It's not a godlike climbing squad. It depends on who you send with him to the Grand Tour that Carapaz is supposed to podium because will EF send Carfi and Carapaz to the same Grand Tour, for example, or will they split them up? That is a question that I'm asking myself. Are they going to send them both to the same Grand Tour to the Tour de France, for example, with the Venezuelan, uh, no, Ecuador. Oh my God, I'm getting the countries wrong. Uh, the Ecuador people in there as well. Caicedo, Cepeda, those riders. Yeah. Cepeda signed as well by EF. So, I don't know. That's He's like useless. three Ecuadorians. But <laughs> is he completely useless or can he be part of a climbing train? I mean, what climb can someone that's 53 kilos help on that doesn't have the same rule what's per kilo as Jonas? Like, I'm sure he might. he could be fine, but like... Yeah, it's he's signed because he's Ecuadorian, like, and he, <laughs> he's on Androni and his agent. I haven't looked. I bet you it's a quadro. <laughs> I bet you any money. So <laughs> that is what it is. Um, Caicedo is not a bad rider, but I think, yeah, like Paulus is the one to split him with Carapaz. It'll depend on the parkour. Like, if the uh, Tour de France has loads of time trial kilometers. Do you really want to send Carapaz or is the Giro like with the softer start list? Like the world starts really hard. Will you send him to the to the Giro? Guerrero is the one. Guerrero and Chavez are out of contract, I think, at EF yep. Benji. Guerrero's having a career year. Do you re-sign? I think you let Chavez go and you try and re-sign Guerrero. That's what I would do. I would do so as well. I don't necessarily see the resurgence of Chavez that people would have hoped for at EF so far. Yeah, he had last year was when he had a decent day in Catalonia or yeah. one of those Spanish races. We haven't really seen that this year either, in my personal opinion. And 
like looking at Guerrero, when you look at that guy's season so far, he had a good season. Like we can say all we want about it, but even in Burgos, yeah, Flash was a great result, but even in Burgos, like sixth being in Burgos, we take a look at ninth in the Dauphiné. This was a breakaway stage hunter last year. He grew into a GC rider this year, and that's significant to the point where is he going to end up willing to work for Carapaz? He's going to have to if he stays at the team, that's quite sure, but there's so many questions about it, you know? I think they should re-sign Guerrero. I think he's uh, very much on point, or do you think that there's external interest in a rider like Ruben Guerrero? Because if I'm a different team... UAE, UAE, he rode for Almeida in 2021 Giro, right? <laughs> I'm being serious. Yeah. Like, he actually, like, was doing that for yeah. um, Almeida. Like, that would be with Costa gone. He's probably the best Portuguese rider on the market. That would make sense. It's What's interesting, Benji, is I wonder if the relegation battle has made Ruben Guerrero a shitload of money where he normally would have been forced to stage hunt or that would have been his plan. And instead, he's gone to chase top 10s in GCs, like a ninth at the Dauphiné, which isn't that appealing marketing-wise, but that gets you paid. And so now he's he's been sent to Mont to Challenge. I'm not sure if EF always did that. He won that. Like I feel like the relegation stuff might have helped his, yeah. his pay packet next year. Uh, so EF, there's a lot of sort of nice pieces always at EF. I always like each rider they sign individually, like a like Steinhauser, Padun signing. Sure, I like them all. I do worry about how their pieces always fit together. Um, the classics team with Volga and injured, and with I think he's looking unfortunately like that was a very serious crash yeah. and injury. Their classics team hinges almost entirely on Betiol and Paulus, who also goes for GC. So that's looking really light for next year. Um, but yeah, they just need a lot of guys to progress. Um, I can, yeah, I can. Did he have sickness or something? Healy's got to progress. Um, the Vandenbergs, Marin Vandenberg gets sent to the wrong races. I don't know. The question I have after this entire EF discussion, I think we. We completed like the ever discussion here. When it comes to Ineos, where does this transfer of Carapaz to oh, EF yeah. leave Ineos? What effect does it have on Ineos? Does this mean that Ineos letting, well, did they let him go or did EF pay well, more than Ineos would have paid for would you Carapaz, have matched, for example? It depends Ineos. on the money. Well, let's let's say it's let's begin, let's say it's three mil. It's like big boy GC contender, top five GC contender in the world money. Three mil, no. three and a half mil. Could be I more. don't think so. I think I'd rather secure Rodriguez than match a three million Carapaz. No, I agree. And uh, Rodriguez doesn't cost three million. Well, I guess like he sh- at the moment he hasn't got the results to demand that contract. So I would rather. I agree. It's. But then, who are they sending to the Giro? You'd have that. You'd have to have faith in Gegenhart to step up to leadership again. We haven't seen that since 2020 Giro. I'm not looking at their roster. You have to have faith that Bernal comes back. Like mm-hmm. a lot of things have to fall into place um, for you to... It's like Benji when Lefebvre was like, I'll let Bennett go because I trust Fabio's coming back. He took a yep. calculated risk. It paid off in a big way. Uh, I think that's at play for Ineos. There's a lot of guys hunting for opportunities 
And yeah, with Carlos Rodriguez, Benji, Movistar would literally roll out the red carpet. They might not match salary, but they're like, we will give you any race you want, leadership, any race you want. You can have it. And, you know, versus if you've got Carapaz for the next three years, stifling this opportunity. So I'm not surprised that Ineos let him go. They're in a rebuilding phase. You see these things happen in cycles. Carapaz, and it's a curious move on to our next team. The classic sort of version, maybe of Carapaz, very you know, Dylan Van Baal, maybe that well, their best classics rider, perhaps, but their oldest one of their older ones, as terms of the leader, Rose, maybe a bit older. Van Baal off to Jumbo Visma, winner of Paris Roubaix this year on Ineos. Ineos had a great, well, pretty good classic season. Again, it's kind of like he would have presumably been wanting a big contract at Ineos after that. Uh, after Paris-Roubaix, or maybe maybe not. Are you surprised to see him, 30 years old, not a regular winner, off to Jumbo-Visma, who already have pretty stacked classic squad? It's difficult, you know, because if we look at the dynamics of the couple squad of Jumbo-Visma this year, it was already a very strong squad with Laporte, with Van Aert, obviously. Let's not forget about Wout Van Aert in this couple squad. If you add Van Bala to that, I would argue that the chances of all three to win a race increase. And you would say, well, how is that possible? How is Van Bala going to that team, increasing his chances of winning when he might not even be leader? I'd expect them to be three co-leaders on the Cobble squad. And perhaps Laporte might be taking a, a bit of a a bad step there. Like, if Ambarla goes to the team with Van Aert, I think Laporte is the one that takes the biggest hit. Or am I wrong in that? Um, Van Baal can't sprint, so Laporte can sprint. Mm-hmm. So Laporte, you can be happier going in a smaller group. Uh, Van Baal needs to go solo, like he did in Roubaix. He, I mean, his season, second in Flanders, first at Roubaix, Good, probably domestique in Amstel, which Ineos also won with Fiatkovsky. Eighth in E3, which Jumbo dominated. He, we haven't mentioned him as a stage racing domestique, Benji. Uh, he did the Tour de Suisse, Tour de France, and he's doing the world to this year. He's, had a, he's been a busy boy. Um, <laughs> I see more for their classics team. I think, because when I think of their uh, Tour de France squad, we both think Roglic and Jona should rinse and repeat. I almost wouldn't change the team from this year. It depends on the parkour, obviously. But, like, yeah. I would rather have Van Baal focus on the best classic season, which Jumbo Visma didn't win a monument in spring this year. It was the missing piece of their season. Focus on classics in spring and Benoit. Like, Benoit was really good. <laughs> really, really good in the Tour de France. Now, Van Baal has probably done in his career in 2018 yeah. some better climbing performances, but but no, it was really good. I would rather he focus on, as you said, the classics. And yeah, like Paribay is a great example, someone to make sure. I mean, Wout Van Aert needs to learn a little bit perhaps to ride with someone like Van Baal. He doesn't need to close attacks. He doesn't need to push on the front. Let Van Baal initiate things as well. But yeah, he's Dutch. He's thirty. He's still in his prime. He's got good years, and like it makes sense from a marketing perspective. Um, what do you yes. expect? Like, do you think he will be sacrificing opportunities, or do you think they will go with like the multi-leader stuff, even in the classics? 
I believe they should go for multi-leader strategies in the classics. I think that's what works a lot of the time when it comes to quick step in the past. And the stronger quick step became, the more dominant they were because they were strong in the whiff. And if one rider, one leader has a bad day, if one leader crashes into a ditch like Laporte in RVV, you've got an extra leader next to that that can pick up the pieces where they are left off with. And there's also the aspect of strategy in those races. Van Baal is indeed the rider that goes relatively early in races and tries to benefit from group dynamics and we saw that in Roubaix, like you mentioned, he attacked away in a situation where Van der Poel and Van Aert were in the same group. And I think it was also when Van Aert had punctures and so forth. But basically, Van der Poel and Van Aert had to respond to every attack that happened in those groups. And certainly, they look at each other to close a, a gap. And now with Van Aert being in that group, Van Bala could either attack if a rider, a stronger sprinter is still in the group there. Like a Peterson, for example. If Peterson is in the group with Van Aert, in that situation, Van Bala can try and attack away while Van Aert is a second option, the sprinting option, while they put Peterson under pressure at the end of a Roubaix, for example. That's the situations I've got in my head there. And I think that benefits every single rider from that. There's also the factor to it. Like you spoke about the, G, uh, the Grand Tour schedule for Van Bale. Is there an effect? This is a conspiracy theory by Benji Nassen, written right now. Do you think there's a possibility that Jumbo Visma is also thinking, if we get Van Bale to our team, he's very strong in the cobble class, he strengthens us there, he's an option to become a Dennis-like character in a Grand Tour, to be that domestique that Dennis couldn't be this year because he was injured, basically, or ill before the Tour de France, but... They're also taking away strength from Ineos. I Is there a possibility? Important. Okay. Ineos, apart from Pidcock, we will remain to be seeing what he does in the Classics next year, breakout Classics season last year. Ineos relied in Rabantapale, in Paru Bay, in Amstel Gold Race. They relied on multi-leaders. Uh, it was Pidcock and Fiato more so in Amstel. But paru Bay was Turner and Van Baal, right, in that last group. Mm-hmm. And they used their whole – and so this is their their strongest classics rider in, across all the classics, Van Baal. Sheffield is coming. Yeah, he's coming, but, like, would you say <laughs> next year – like, Fred Wright came 10th in RVV. No one ever – oh, top 10. People forget that. Like, is – can we pencil in Sheffield for fifth at RVV next year? Maybe, yes. but I'm calling okay. it. <laughs> you're penciling it in. But Van Baal <laughs> literally came second this year. Now that was because Pagacha kind of messed up the finish. But when you think about now the teams in those spring classics, is Alaphilippe going to focus on them as much next year, or is he going to focus on his Ardennes because his Ardennes wasn't as good this year? And then that means it's right now for Quick Step. Wow. If if Remco's not doing the Cobble Classics, it's all on Asgren. So that's one yeah. leader. And then right. UAE is all Pog. And then Ineos is a lot on Pidcock. And then Yumbo are coming with Laporte. Tratnik, maybe. Is that confirmed? Um, um, I think it rumored was. Rumored by Vila Flitz, probably. Yeah, exactly. Um, who also came top 10 RVE? Van Baal and Van Aert. That's a multi-headed monster against these teams with single leaders. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, certainly a problem in that effect. And... The thing is, with Quickstep as well, we don't know how strong they're going to be next year compared to this year with all the stuff they had going on, like you mentioned. 
I don't think we can blame Alaphilippe having a weaker LBL by ending up in the ditch by the side of the road and yeah, being injured. Yeah, true. No, no, but I mean, that, yeah. that disappointment will mean he's like, I've got to focus on our damn. Yeah. yeah, I get that. And it's been a while since he won LBL, right? Because... Never won he? LBL. Never I won LBL. I think so. Nah. He was supposed to win it until he put his hands in the air too early after he yeah. chopped <laughs> Hirschi and Pogacar. Yeah. That was the closest oh. he's come. The closest he's come was first over the line. Yeah. No, you were second. You were second over the line yeah. and then relegated to fifth. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think weakening competitors and then the marketing benefit. And it's the same thing with the Carapaz move. Ineos are like, all right, we got Sheffield, Pidcock, Clock, got all these guys wanting leadership next year. Should we match Van Baal? Is that the best use of our money? Eh, maybe not. That's probably and he probably wants to go to a Dutch team, or maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But He's gone there. Another move from Bora Hansgrohe going home. He was on Lotto NL Jumbo. He's on Belkin, Rabobank Continental back in the day. Wilco Kelderman, one of my favorites. Third in GC at the Giro 2020. Fourth in the Vuelta 2017. Fifth at the Tour 2021 last year. Good result. Like so many top tens. Like he's got that crazy statistic about how many World Tour top tens he has without a win especially for a guy he's not Kreuzweig he's quite fast in a punchy uphill sprint that's what's crazy but if you look at the Sakito de Gecho finish you see why he hasn't won a lot of road races the way he played that against Ayuso and Piccolo who we forgot to talk about at EF um, but he's just a nice rider EF signed that everyone overlooked because Gazprom folded which wasn't his fault because of the war in Ukraine but he's most talented or was most talented under 20 or uh, Italian junior um and he looks really good. There's more about him, in my opinion, because it's a longer story when it comes to Piccolo. If we look at the way Piccolo's history is in the grand scheme of things, he was signed at Astana back in the day and was hindered by injuries before he ended up being dropped by Astana. Maybe a no, mutual just mutually terminated. Thing, mutually terminated with Astana. Um, it was never disclosed what the injury or illness was that he was going through but that's his privacy we don't need to dive too much more into that and then after he basically rode for the italian national team and a club team in italian classics doing well at the veneto classic got great results there and these results got him signed at gazprom which at gazprom you know what happened you just explained what happened the russian war stuff and eventually he ended up on no team going back to drone hopper and a drone hopper he finally got to prove himself at the spanish races that finally got him into af so this man has not had luck at all when it comes to his signing i know and gianni savio he was on androni for six weeks i hope i bet you savio if he had a buyout clause in there would have been the best bit of business i mean i said i circulated this at the time i was like when Gazprom folded in, I was like a vulture. I was looking through their start, their their team list. I was like, who who has got something here? Varchek's been signed. Um, uh, I I circulated around. I was like, Piccolo. Someone's got to take a chance on this guy. He's from a he's from the right country. Like he's bucking the trend, Benji. Usually Italians that can pedal under twenty five. <laughs> Trek is like, would you like five years? Like what's <laughs> what's going on? And no one picked him up. And I was like, the results are good. Now, maybe a difficult character. I don't know. Like, it didn't make sense to me. And, yeah, someone should have signed him, stashed him on their dev team, given him a six-year deal, put an outrageous buyout clause in there, and just 
gave developed him and taken him to their world tour squad. And they didn't. And EF, it's a nice signing. I think he's really good. Um, he might do nothing. He's super young. He might have team issues. But, like, you always look for the guys. Are they getting some sort of results at under 22 years of old, years of age in actual open UCI races when shit's not going their way? Like, Veneto, I know it's not the biggest race this October, but, like, stuff's not gone his way. He's on the Italian team, and he's still getting results. Like, that's someone... Anyway, honed in on. That's a self-pat on the back. But, yeah, Piccolo, nice sign from EF. Being too nice to Waters on this podcast. I came into it thinking I was going to roast the signs, and I was like, yep, like it, yep, like it. And it's like, fuck. <laughs> what's, the, what's the dude on Gazprom that was good when he comes to sprinting? Did he get any future? Was Conchie on um, Gazprom? The, the, Malicelli? The dude, Malicelli. Yeah. Any news about him? Because I haven't heard much about him personally. Uh, well, he, he picked up a pro contract, I think. And he okay. is on China Glory and oh. actually won a stage of Cecilia. Or was that when he was still on Gazprom? No, Italy, that was on team. China Glory. Um, so he's And he came fifth at Arctic Race. Um, but he's like a journeyman Conti sprinter. Anyway, Wilco Kelderman, journeyman World Tour top 10 uh, getter, returns back to Yumbo Visma. He... What role do you see for him, Benji? Because Yumbo Visma, they got the headliners. Roglic, Vingegaard, who else for GC? Like there is a big omens, not it. Kreisvikes folded into a domestique Foss, role. Fersink, yeah, Foss hasn't shown it. Um, did they kind Gelderman. of need another guy for a Giro? I think Gelderman is the perfect man for that spot. And I'd argue that when we look at 2021, we had a team of Dumoulin and Foss going to the Giro. The Foss experiment, I wouldn't say it's completely bottled yet. I think if you try him at one-week races and try him again at a Grand Tour as a secondary GC rider, co-leader, for example, with Kelderman at the Giro, that is something I would like to see happen. And if Foss doesn't prove himself there, he can fall into a domestique role for Kelderman. But I see Kelderman as the GC leader for the Giro next year because, in my opinion, they should still send Vingegaard and Roglic both to the Tour de France. That's my take. We might see next year if that happens or does not happen. Now, I also think that Kelderman should be in the Tour de France team next year, and he should be a domestique, because yeah. that's an extra mountain yeah. rider attitude there. I know that when the Van Bale discussion happened earlier, that you mentioned that the team should stay the same. You probably forgot that Kelderman was being signed, because I think you agree that he should be in the team. It depends who. He'll be fighting Kreuzweig for that position. Um, mm-hmm. There's Kuz, Benoit, I forgot, Van Hoydonk, Laporte. It depends on the parkour. I mean, if there's no cobbled stage, Benji, do you need all of Van Hoydonk, Laporte, Van Aert, Benoit for rulers? Yeah. Like, if it's not in Denmark, if, it's, uh, if it starts in the Basque country next year, do you want Kel- – does Kelvin replace uh, – I don't know. That's something to, you know, it depends on the parkour. But yeah, like Foss Benji, he's had 30 race days this year and didn't get taken to a velt of welter that abounds with five to seven percent climbs for a bigger guy like him as a domestique. And the Yumbo Vism of Welter team, no offense, but it ain't their it ain't their Tour de France team yeah. either. And Foss didn't make the cut for that team. He's 25, he's turning 26 next year, and Dumoulin's retired. It's pretty clear that they're shallow in GC and top level, even 
like Kreisweik, he's he's crashed a lot, but he did well on Solaison. But I think there's Kreisweik Kuss as domest climbing domestiques, and then not too much else. So it, the Kelvin yeah. signing just makes a lot of sense. Um, and from from his perspective, Benji, mm-hmm. I would be thinking, I want to win a I want to win a race. <laughs> I, you know, like while I'm still I still have the legs. Like I want to get some wins on the board. So it makes sense that he's going to Jumbo Visma, I guess, for that. Yeah, I think so as well. I think he's going to win races at Jumbo Visma, at least one. Come on. We finally got to have the Kelderman victory. Whether they send him to like to the Hungary or something, I don't care. No, I'm being, they one, should. If I was in should. charge of his, like, pro, yeah. I would get him. Get the guys just some easy win, like some easy mental victories. I think Open it's Open the floodgates. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Kelderman wins will keep flowing in one by one throughout the season. It's like, like Almeida Polonia. Last year, remember before Polonia, he kept yeah. his eyes. How's this guy not winning races? And then open the floodgates. Well, has he won that much since? He won yeah. two the week You're before. Right. I said he can't. He was you. No, you said he's a useless, winless. I did um, not say fuck. that. You invented that. You invented <laughs> he won two that. Bologna stages and GC. I think. <laughs> I did not say that statement. I deny it. But I think this does have a factor or an influence on the other part of Jumbo Visma. We look at Olaf Koy being in this team. David Decker not re-signed yet, from what I can tell. And I'd argue that David Decker does not fit in the team of Jumbo anymore. No. I don't mean that harshly towards David Decker or anything, but we've got a Grand Tour squad for the Tour de France that will not have a sprinter in it because Wild Fanard can take green and be a domestique. So Olaf Koy is the best sprinter on Jumbo Visma. They should send him to the Giro, combined with Kelderman, in my opinion. Sorry, yep. but... Olaf Koy deserves a Grand Tour with flat sprints in it because he's going to win a Grand Tour stage next year if they send him to a Grand Tour. Now, the issue that I see is David Decker. Yeah, he's got no opportunities there. But if you're Olaf Koy, at what point are you going to say, I don't want to be the guy that goes to the Giro and the Vuelta for Grand Tour stage wins. I want to go to the Tour de France. Is that in two years? And you're like, okay, they have to start choosing between Wout van Aert and Koy then. Or Am uh, I thinking too far? That's a 2024 discussion, which is his contract is last year is next year. Um, he's 20 years old. He's won his first World Tour stage this year. Uh, I don't think it's pr- it's a pretty. You need a big, <laughs> a big set of cojones to be like a Primoz and Jonas. You pretty good tour this year, but uh, I would like three three lead rise and Tour de France. I would like to go for my choice chances. <laughs> Uh, with Wout and the team, so I I don't really see that as a discussion, uh, at least coming up this year. I think Giro fits. I would send a split squad of Tosh van der Sander, Dennis, Kelderman, Foss maybe, plus Coy and one of the Van Dyke brothers. I mean, you've seen in... Bauman. Uh, Bauman, sorry. Um, Den- you've seen a tour of Denmark. When Coy has Laporte as a leader, oh, it's like, I know it's not Tour de France sprint, but... It's not even close. Um, I think they should sign a proper last man for him. I don't know if Afini is that guy. I think Afini at the Giro is a fine setup man, but a proper last man. Can Rosen do it? Mm, I'd like to see them get a specialist in for Olaf Koy. Uh, but Kelderman, yeah, what do you think, Benji? I think he... I mean, he crashes a lot. They got Christ like Kelderman, yeah. Roglic. Uh, like, I think he but, podiums the Giro, and I think he wins a random TT. 
Okay. I think he just wins the stage and he's going to go for GC at the Giro and he's going to get a top five there if he can finish it in one piece. The thing is, they don't have Tony Martin anymore. So there's one rider that you're behind that you're scared. That's Tony Martin and perhaps getting Thomas as well. So that's one of the, those two riders that's out of the peloton. No offense to Tony Martin. Great rider, but let's be honest about it. And I think that reduces the crashes on Yambo. Not convinced. But yeah, we'll see. Kelvin uphill can go super, super fast. He's in ice weight for it as a domestique. I think it's a fine signing. Don't know the money um, for all these signings, which is unfortunate. Like it really would add a lot. Like you could be like, because <laughs> if Carapaz is on some ridiculous deal where yeah. he wanted to go to EF and he's on like 1.5, you're like, well, that is the best transfer <laughs> I've ever seen. Um, or maybe riders get one result which they can't replicate and then they get really, really highly paid and you're like, not sure about that. So it's impossible to really know. All we can really discuss is fit and expectations for races they'll go to. But yeah, it's that was the transfers part to wrap up. Um, let us know what you think about the transfers. Thanks to Swift as always for supporting the show and we'll see you with Welter uh, probably stage three later t- today. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 